Good evening, listeners, brave navigators of the enigmatic and the concealed. Have you ever felt the pull of the unanswered, the allure of the mysteries that shroud our existence? For more than a decade, a unique comic publisher has dared to dive into these mysteries, unafraid of the secrets they might uncover. This audacious entity is Paranoid American. Welcome to the mystifying universe of the Paranoid American podcast. Launched in the year 2012, Paranoid American has been on a mission to decipher the encrypted secrets of our world. From the unnerving enigma of MK Ultra mind control to the clandestine assemblies of secret societies. From the awe-inspiring frontiers of forbidden technology to the arcane patterns of occult symbols in our very own pop culture. They have committed to unveiling the concealed realities that lie just beneath the surface. Join us as we navigate these intricate landscapes, decoding the hidden scripts of our society and challenging the accepted perceptions of reality. Folks, I've got a big problem on my hands. There's a company called Paranoid American making all these funny memes and comics. Now, I'm a fair guy. I believe in free speech uh, as long as it doesn't cross the line. And if these AI-generated memes dare to make fun of me, they're crossing the line. This is your expedition into the realm of the extraordinary, the secret, the shrouded. Come with us as we sift through the world's grand mysteries, question the standardized narratives, and brave the cryptic labyrinth of the concealed truth. So strap yourselves in, broaden your horizons, and steel yourselves for a voyage into the enigmatic heart of the paranoid American podcast. Where each story, every image, every revelation brings us one step closer to the elusive truth. Another episode in. We're not going to waste any time at all. And I'm going to immediately welcome our guest, Monica Perez from Monica Deep Dives. How you doing, Monica? Hello. Thanks for having me. That was an awesome intro. I appreciate it. I joke, but I'm half serious. Part of this show is just forcing people to watch the two minutes and then just get compliments. It's awesome. I I was thinking like a lot of stuff I'm not totally like Bigfoot and whatever. I don't know. But basically everything in your intro, I'm like, right, right, right. Definitely. (laughs) Let's talk about it. (laughs) I'm glad. Well, that's exactly what we're here to talk about. So before we get in too deep and go on a million different tangents, uh, MonicaDeepDives.com is where people can find you. But what else is going on with Monica Perez? What other websites or books or projects? Uh, so, they look yeah, at? you can get all the stuff that I do on Deep Dives with Monica Perez on your favorite podcasting platform, but have rockfin.com slash deep dives. But if you go to the website, you can separate it out by what it is. So I do just deep dives proper, which is like 45 minutes on one subject. And then I also do a bunch of interviews, dive master interviews and buddy dives like this one. And uh, yeah, so I would say go to Monica's Deep Dives. I have newsletters that does everything from the month so you can just find stuff easily. So I put a lot of work in the research. So I want people to be able to identify what what topic they want to talk about FTX or 15 minute cities or whatever. And speaking of research, just for the record, I I don't think that's a green screen behind you. That is a literal oh. ton of books. Yes. And I know it looks douchey, but I need them. Like I need to have access to them. And that's just like a very small, so I have like thousands of books and it's amazing like how helpful it is when I had them all in boxes before I moved. It sucks because I, these are resources and I only did it because a friend of mine was just like, you know, 
they're going to burn all the books. And I was like, shit, I better, I better collect the books. She's like, I'll bring my cow to your tunnel if I can use your library. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and I'm going to be the librarian of the tunnel. So I'm doing it. I'm doing this as a service to us truth seekers for posterity. I mean, the, actually, that kind of shortcuts right to a question that I had in mind. But like, what do you think? I think I know what you think about physical media. What do you think about digital media? So like there's there's two different kinds, too. So let me specify. Let's not talk about like the Kindle version that keeps itself downloaded. And if they erase a naughty word, then your version gets the naughty word. What about just having like PDF versions of all the books behind you? Is that insufficient, you think? Oh, I think if you've got it on a thumb drive, I mean, I don't, I don't know what like an EMP does or whatever, like an electromagnetic pulse would do to a thumb drive. I really, I don't know about that. Uh, yeah, I mean, people feel like, like the best minds think that Bitcoin is going to survive on your thumb or whatever, right? Like, isn't that, isn't that the thing? Like people bet millions of dollars that thumb drives will last. Everyone has a God. I guess. Yes. Right. So for me, I mean, I worry about paper, like the quality of the paper has gone down. It won't last forever. I, I worry about having a Chinese English dictionary so that people can still read those things in a hundred years. <laughs> I was a big fan of Firefly, like that TV show, Serenity, mm-hmm. whatever. Where the they in- yeah, I know for sure. But they, they didn't speak Spanglish. They spoke like English or whatever. And I thought that's, you're going to, I don't know if English is going to be the dominant language in the, in the very, very future, but I feel like, I like the ideology of Liberty. And I have all those books, like so many, that is a criticism that my friend, Anthony Raimondo says like libertarians just now have a fetish for books and don't do anything. So he's right about me, (laughs) but anyway, I feel like I, you know, I'm contributing. But yeah, I just, I don't, the digital stuff, I mean, it not only can be erased, it can be manipulated. You know, it can be wronged. It can be distorted. Oh, no, you, you were making jokes about Spanglish and Chinese English. And what about Esperanto? Why didn't Esperanto catch on if that's the case? Why didn't it catch on? Uh, I don't know. You know, didn't they try to do like Ebonics too? I mean, maybe... Maybe there is something that cannot be forced down from the top. Maybe language does have, I mean, Noam Chomsky was, his claim to fame, I think it was totally discredited, but he did think you had like a template of knowledge, of language in your brain when you were born. I think that's absolutely not true, but maybe, there, maybe it's organic. Is there anyone known Chomsky's age that has sort of like stood the test of time? Let's think about that. Um, John Coleman might have. And uh, he, so John Coleman's the one who does the, he he wrote a, a few things, but he wrote the committee of 300, okay. which is, there are 3,000 people basically in the Council of Foreign Relations, but there are 300 people who really know what's going on. But he wrote that book uh, and I read it a long time ago and it, it was like right in every respect, except for three things were not true. And since that time, those things did come true. So I'm like, wow, that guy was on it. But then he started doing a newsletter. And I really feel like he was, he was like in Star Trek where that guy was on drugs and they made him be a, you know, a 
like a Hitler or whatever. So I feel like John Coleman had nothing to do with the newsletter that was printed in his name and he was getting old. So I feel like that looked like it was discrediting him, but I don't, I think that he himself was still, was still legit. And um, who else? The great John Taylor Gatto, he died, but I think he was legit throughout. I've spoken to G Edward Griffin and uh, he seemed legit. Creature from Jekyll Island, right? Yes. Yes. I think that might be the book that converted me. Yeah. Like uh, economically slash politically in some ways. Like, it, and it's a weird thing to say because it's such a financial book, but that was the first time that I finally, it finally clicked for me and I couldn't even paraphrase it, repeat it now. But it was basically this is how charities and philanthropies and things work to make it look like it's good, but it's actually not good. Like, I finally get it now. And yeah, there was a conspiracy. But here's the only thing I would say about him without disrespect, but Eustace Mullins was the one who revealed, and his book was called The Secrets of the Federal Reserve. He he was commissioned by Ezra Pound, who was committed to an insane asylum uh, instead of going to jail for being a like card-carrying Mussolini fascist. So... <laughs> It has a deeper history than than even you might think. And that's the only thing I would say is that I feel like you got to give Eustace Mullins the hat tip. And I don't hear that too much. The enemy of my enemy in a way, maybe. <laughs> I didn't know. No, I mean, I think Eustace Mullins was saying the same things that uh, Griffin ended up saying. But I didn't. The Ezra Pound connection is is weird because, I mean, he like you, you want to say like he was being persecuted for politics and and I, and he was i mean obviously but his politics were really kind of crazy and um but his writing like he was such a talented writer that if you actually read his stuff there's one thing he wanted to do is super nerdy but i think he was just a like a poet or whatever but he wanted to separate i think hitler did this he was like thought it was great he wanted to separate the medium of exchange from the store of value function of money so so like money should expire which i think Mm -hmm. it might like i think if you go to digital currency they might actually do that they they will have the power to do that like just put a stamp on your money i I guess that it it kind of does in a slight way because of inflation i guess what he's suggesting is to combat that to make people constantly spend money and not just hoard it so like if you hoard it it just loses its value i guess Yeah, you would have to like buy actual gold or whatever. But I was reading an IMF, International Monetary Fund, blog article that said the way we're going to, this was from years ago, the way we're going to make digital currency is we're going to make the um, exchange rate like change over time. So day one, you could exchange your greenbacks for one, like one greenback for one digidollar. But at the Mm -hmm. end of the first year, you'll have to give a dollar and a dime to get a digi dollar. Right. So well, what do they call it? Dutch auction is where like the first ones are cheaper. And then the, the more yeah. you sell, the, the higher the yeah. price goes. Yeah. So that's what they're planning to do. And of course they'll do what they want. But I mean, I what, just, what I are your thoughts on that? On, on just digital currency in general, like Bitcoin and Ethereum and. Well, I'm such an idiot. I, I hate this when like, I kind of have my opinion and I don't recognize that 
it's kind of like a false flag. Just because it's false flag doesn't mean nobody died. <laughs> so, right, like with Bitcoin, I mean, I remember it from like I feel like decades ago. I feel like I remember hearing about. Well, it was bigger with like libertarians, so yeah. Yeah, and I think I was still a banker when, and that was basically before I had kids. So, really long time ago, if I'm correct about that. And I just remember thinking, like, what's wrong with you people? It's a stepping stone to a cashless society. Like, that's what they're after. Like, don't you want to get your drugs and get, you know, pay your babysitter cash? Like, what's wrong with you? So instead of being like, it's inevitable, I kind of was like, yeah, whatever. But I'd be super mega millionaire if I was smarter than that. But I was not. But I did see what it was for what it was, which is a stepping stone to a cashless society. And even some of the advocates for it know that it has kind of a sketchy origin story, but it doesn't mean that it isn't going to be the basis of the central bank digital currencies, that it isn't going to have to cooperate. It isn't going to be the gold. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the sketchy background, like still nobody necessarily knows who made it. Satoshi is like this mystical character. Is he even real? Is he the CIA? Is he like some Yakuza shaman wizard? Someone was telling me, um, Tim Piccio, the libertarian, like the financial libertarian guy, I always get his name wrong, P-I-C-C-I-O-T, I think it is. And he was saying that you can basically, I mean, there is evidence that it was a Rothschild operation, but I don't know. I didn't, I didn't really look into it. I didn't really ever care because I was just like, yes, this is definitely a stepping stone to a cashless society. And that is, you know, not what I want. I don't want that. I understand that you're telling me that it'll survive, you know, whatever you're fleeing the country. You don't have to like carry a satchel of gold, but I just, I'm, I just don't like being every move is traced and they could just make things illegal. I mean, just waiting for them to charge double for every, you know, second and third and fourth ice cream that you have in a week. Like I just, I mean, the control is going to be total. Yeah, the the permanent ledger where anyone can see like what you've spent. Oh my money gosh, on where it came from. <laughs> when I when I realized that, I was like, wait, what? Like this is the anonymous thing that I had to like take a picture of my driver's license to get. But I realized that's my bad. Like I used just a Coinbase wallet. And I really probably shouldn't have done that. But I'm just freaking, you know. Dumb well, girl. the, the like, trick there is that when you actually go to express whatever you've got on that thumb drive or in your memory. Like you're at the point when you actually want to spend the money on the car or the house or like whatever it is, it kind of has to be traced back to you unless you jump through some some really shadowy sort of hoops where, you know, the legality you might need to get like consulted on and stuff. So like and then like this is where I like conceptually start struggling is that. So every single transaction is in your in the blockchain for every bitcoin and they can diverge right did you ever hear that like yeah well that's not ideal and usually a diverging is when there's like a disagreement somewhere you know just like any like a like a municipality or like a town it's like it gets too big and two competing factions one says it should work this way another says it should work this way uh, yeah, it happens constantly although you could and bitcoin has happened with too there's there's btc and bt something else yeah, so, classic. so does that mean that the total is not fixed because i also want to mention something about about that like crypto generally but 
first I have to answer this question. So does that mean that whatever it is, what is it, 80 million or billion or whatever? There's yeah, there, there's half. a set amount for Bitcoin in particular. Not all of them necessarily no, right. have that, Just but Bitcoin. most do. But even Bitcoin, if it can split, that could really change that fixed number or not. Well, it, it's can happened we already. Where, where, and yeah. usually what happens is that at that split, you technically now have the same that you had, but in two different branches. So for some people, it's almost like when a stock splits, um, you get you get both, right? You get the dividends of both of those. It's a little bit more complicated than that, but that's basically how it works. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that messes up the whole, this is a fixed amount. And here's the other thing. So I was trying to, I just wanted to decide whether to buy some or not. And I wanted to figure out how to value it. Is this price high? It was like $80,000. And then it was $30,000. And I was like, is this price high or 3000 I don't even know what the right numbers are. But it was like big numbers and then smaller big numbers. And I just like, which is, when is it a good deal? So I thought, okay, what is the, let's just take it from an industry point of view. Like, what is the total demand for currency? And I'm going to say it's $100 trillion. Let's say it's $100 trillion. Right. So like our what's our economy like 20 trillion, maybe. I don't know. Last time I looked, it was a long time ago. Let's say it's 20 trillion. I'm just talking. Yeah. (laughs) And we're like 25 percent of the world. So let's just say it's 100 trillion dollars. Okay, that's the demand for currency. What is the supply for currency of currency? And let's say it's all crypto. What's the supply? What's the total supply of currency? Well, it can keep being divided in smaller, yeah. smaller amounts, well, much smaller than like a dollar into into pennies into. But like ETH could could be lots, like it could be, and then there could be like another one. So right. there could be competition among the currency. So unless it's actually right. just Bitcoin and it's just that fixed number, you have absolutely no idea what the supply is. So you can't value it right now. Well, or maybe ever, just because of how murky it is. But like, Bit- well, when well, where CBDC- Bitcoin goes, that's kind of what drives the rest of it. So, if Bitcoin were to completely right. crap the bed, like it doesn't mean everything else does instantly, but it sure as heck means that the rest okay. of the landscape kind of starts sliding. So, I guess I would think in the million possible, trillion, billion possible paths that this thing could take, I'm going to say. One path that has a greater than one in a trillion chance of happening, so not just even like a little bit of a higher chance of happening, is that Bitcoin becomes the foundation of the CBDCs. And then other crypto are either regulated to the point where they're, the quantity is limited or they're just regulated out of existence. But you will have a defined supply at some point and then the price won't fluctuate anymore but that will happen because it's been taken over by the you know worldwide feds and i feel like the ftx thing is what you know they're how they're sparking that like i think that thing is totally created because the bankman's I, I did like a few shows on this because I went to Stanford Law School where those people were professors. And 
they were very nice actually. And, uh, <laughs> and they have like this ethical system and I don't know, whatever, but they're really good friends. The dad is really good friends with, uh, one or two former sec chair men who were teachers there. I remember I had one of them. I forget which one it was, but I had one of the sec chairman as a teacher for something. Isn't and that then part the of the Carol- reason you go there. Yeah. It's like all the mucky mucks. Yeah, for sure. So that Caroline Ellison, I think her dad like was an SEC chair or like is also has the same thing where like they're connected to these SEC chair who are, I, I don't have my notes in front of me or I tell you the actual names and what they said and all that kind of stuff. But their, their goals have been to regulate crypto. These SEC guys who are in with the Ellison's and the Bankman's and the Bankman's like ethical thing is pretty consistently. I don't care if people think I'm the bad guy. I want to make an impact. Like I'm above it all. So like when the kid says, if I could press a button and it's a 50-50 chance of blowing the world up or making the world way better, I'm pressing the button. You know, like (laughs) they give hands to their, you know, extreme view on ethics. So I just feel like this thing, uh, my husband totally argues with me. He's like, no way. They're after that kid. I'm like, they might be after him, but if it's like Manafort or Flynn or Roger Stone or any of these guys who like go to jail and then they get out, you know, or what's his face? Epstein, which whatever the kill himself thing. But before that he was in jail, like literally had a back door I think they built his cell for him with a back door when he was in jail. The guy the whistleblower went to jail for longer than Epstein went to jail. Yeah, then you have to just like check in like it was like a parole officer or something. Like, yeah, hey. I don't, he probably <laughs> didn't even show up at all. So I'm just yeah. saying like you, you can tell me people are going to jail, but unless I actually whatever, like see their teeth falling out of their heads, I'm not going to believe that. So I just feel like the whole thing is set up and they're it's heading down the road of that kind of regulatory thing. And I, I feel like they'll probably use Bitcoin as a basis for it. But I mean, until, until there's some way to define the supply, I don't, I don't, I can't value it, which, you know, I should have seen it coming. I'm not saying I was right because I don't have any. Well, I I remember having someone, it was like $9 and I just thought it was like, why, why do these guys need me? Cause it was, it was way that you would do business on certain things, but and it was like, why would you want me to convert real money into fake money just so that you can convert the fake money back into real money? Like, I just didn't understand it at the time. And I remember yeah. buying and selling them for nine bucks all wow. day long. And then when uh, when I was at Disney, some guy came in and he was like, have you heard? Have you heard of the, you know Bitcoin? And I was like, yeah, yeah. Like, what's going on? He's like, it's like $300. And I remember my mind exploding. Yes. $300, man. I could have had like 20 grand well, based this is on... The- so this is what I say when people are like, oh, I wish I had bought it when it was like a dollar. And right. my answer is, if I had bought it when it was a dollar, I would have sold it when it was $2. Right, right. No, I mean, <laughs> so I've, I've got another wanna, friend that, that bought. Yeah, um, when the money was doubled, I would have sold it. We've got so many, so many stories of these. Well, I got a friend that got into Ethereum when it was like less than a penny and had, you know, like thousands and thousands of shares of them. And when it got to like 30 cents, I think he was like, yeah. he couldn't, he couldn't ride it anymore and sold of it course. all and made a decent amount. But now you yes. like look at it and it's like $1,500 a piece. And yes. it's, and the, the guy at Disney was telling us, 
uh, yeah, it's the 300. I was like, you're, how many do you have? And at the point time, he had like 600 shares, right? I was like, why don't you sell it right now? And he's like, sell, yeah. I'm, I'm still buying it. Like all the money that I'm yes. making, I'm putting it into this. And I didn't get because it. Because there's no, for me, there'd be no way to value it unless you knew, you know, unless you had confidence that it was going somewhere because you understood something that like I at the time could not understand. But even then, anytime, you know, I'm old enough to have seen economic booms and busts and like uh, bubbles and tulips and whatever, where... Yep it's the greater fool theory at a certain point. Like I've seen that happen where it's like, I'm buying this because it's hot. And I think they do that like with sports teams sometimes, like it's not worth it. Like you can't ever get an NPV that says this team is worth $2 billion, but the prestige, the cachet, and like, you know, what can really give a billionaire that kind of, uh, you know, high profile or whatever but again you can't really value that so when things start going backwards those things just pop and i i just there's if you can't value it i can't i can't deal with it but maybe although kind of like you were saying earlier too getting on board just because that's what like the new world order wants so if they've got all right that would have been smart that's what i'm saying i should i should have realized like they get what they want like what's wrong (laughs) you know whatever it's a penny okay (laughs) i'll take some it's like YouTube drops a new feature. It's like you might as well use it because they've got a room full of people that are paid a lot of money to like promote that and push it. So it's it's yes. weird how it works. And and just for a, a further dystopian future version of this, this this isn't a prophecy. This is just like one consideration. But eventually, let's say that someone's buying like over half of their stuff on Amazon. Now, if you just had a way. To, to give Amazon some value directly without being an employee and without giving them currency, then you could almost have this whole sort of company store gig going on. And in the very near future, there might be a position that humans are in where we don't really provide value outside of whatever, like very menial tasks because AI and robotics and everything. But what we might have is like a computer so that maybe like when you're not using it or if your computer's like got more power than you need, it just kind of like ships it off to Amazon and they let people rent it out. And, but then you've got this like little micro economy where it's I earn Amazon dollars and I spend Amazon dollars for a complete exchange of goods. And it kind of sounds cool, like this libertarian aggregist sort of like, hey, I'll give you these <laughs> shoes and you give me this. But it's happening at the global you know, conglomerate level of Amazon and it's happening under the nose of but outside the purview of the government, maybe like I think that once all of these corporations and people in general are all kind of like on the same page, it's going to get a little bit wild, you know, because like, do they even have to report that, that I let them rent my computer in exchange for like a pair of socks that I wanted on my wish list? Because, you know what I mean? Like yeah, they might be like, Oh no, it was an equal change of, of not even goods. That make me think of what you're saying. One is that Facebook, I think, had a coin, right? And Facebook have currency briefly. And then Bill Gates has a patent for uh, a coin generated by your, your like ergs or whatever, your work on a computer, like your keystrokes will generate. I never really, I, I, that makes no sense to me. Like, is that unless what your keystrokes are doing is like a captcha where they're, that you're translating a book. Like, you know, they say that CAPTCHA sometimes is digitizing. A oh, book. not just that. But now when it's like click on the pictures of like a bus. Yeah. What's a lot that of old those. Then? Well, so a lot of those oh, aren't even buses. AI. 
Yeah, yeah, those were AI generated buses that it was like, I'm 80% sure this is a bus. And right. it can just confirm that from people giving it. Yeah, input. yeah. same that's thing as the book. Cool. And horrible. So yeah, and <laughs> here would be the problem with your scenario is that since Amazon is the only provider of goods, let's say, because I do basically buy everything on Amazon, uh, and eventually that would mean that it was the only buyer of labor. And that's the problem is that you then eliminate all surplus captured by labor which is annoying to me as a libertarian. I really hate that uh, because it sounds like labor theory of value. It sounds like Marxism. It fucking blows my mind, but it's uncool to for labor to get nothing. Like it's that same thing from World Economic Forum. Like I own nothing and I'm happy. And you, and it's, you can just yeah. like social security is like that. And all these, th you know, not having anything the, the progressive tax rate, it's all designed so that you don't have any surplus, access to surplus at all. And I almost feel like if you spent it all, kind of getting back to the Ezra Pound thing, they would pay you more. Like if you're, they just don't want you to have surplus. So if you, because it gives you independence and there is no surplus if it's, if it's simply ergs for goods. I mean, it would have to be like hyper durable goods. Like Amazon would have to sell gold, which it doesn't. And how else would you buy gold? Like they don't mind. I feel like if you like, that's a big thing with these people that they, or even the Marxist thing, like it's okay to have private property if it's like personal property, but nothing of any like real property, like real estate. If you look at, it's called Habitat or Habitat One from the UN. The basic premise is that people, that property, like real property should not be owned by individuals. You can own other things. You can own cars and the clothes on your back, which basically everybody says you can do. So your theory would, I think, is totally consistent with with the big picture goal. Is it a bad? Is that a bad thing? You know, there's something in my imagery of that 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 makes me feel like I would turn into a like I feel like my hand, like a twilight zone. My hands would grow into the computer. And my body would not be able to move anymore. You know what I mean? Like it's, it almost feels like you would become trans human, just like the way people like, like if you're, if they don't turn you over in a nursing home, like your skin grows onto the sheets. <laughs> Did you ever hear that? Like that's to peel the sheets off. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Funny story. When I was at Disney too, we did the training videos on those beds. They're, they're hill rom beds and they've got these like built in motors now. So for that exact reason, so that overnight it'll just kind of automatically shift somebody like gradually and around so they don't get those bed sores from and just they don't, in one place. Which goes to your other point, which is there will be no work for us to do. Yeah, there's, there's not a nurse because usually that would be a nurse in the middle of yeah, the night that think. would like excuse me, sir, you know, please roll over to have some water. But now the bed just does it and the bed can detect and it and the bed can do it better and more efficiently definitely. than a human could. Yeah, but just think about what happens when you stop having any human interaction. So when I grew up, I had eight brothers and sisters and two parents and one TV with three channels. And we had one couch with three seats. So, and I was the youngest, so... I'd have to sit on the floor or whatever. And you'd have to agree on what to watch. You'd have to be quiet at, at 
commercials. People would like get up and get stuff and get stuff for each other. If you had to run to the bathroom, but you had a seat on the couch, you had to say reserved place. And, you know, so you had a lot of, even though people <laughs> really criticized TV, which I understand, it was very, it was a very community oriented activity in our house. And then even when I had kids, before they got computers and phones, we we had cable, but we all sat around. We had to watch the same thing. And one of the things was like ghost adventures and all that would like the paranormal stuff was something that all the kids would watch. And I would want to watch too. It's like we had to agree on stuff and we would talk to each other and we would like pause it and be like, what do you think about that or whatever? And then they got phones and computers and they we not only like don't talk to each other, but you can get further and further into your own little world of what you like, like your own little quirky weirdness. And that kind of calls to mind an article I read on a, on Quartz, which is like a internet magazine, little, I don't know what it's all about, but like, there was a, like a whitewashy story about the NSA's background on Google, like their contribution to creating Google. And one of the things they wanted to do was create what they called birds of a feather around you. But ultimately, I don't know if I read into this or if they actually stated it, that in your little group of birds, you might be the only real actual human. And if you know anything about crowds and power and people and their morality, their behavior in a group versus individually, peer pressure is almost irresistible. Like that's how malleable our morals are in a right. group. Gustav Le Bon wrote, wrote that book exactly. in the 1890s, right? The crowd. And he argues that yes. once you get enough people together, the crowd actually becomes like a super organism and the individuals sort of cease to have their own consciousness while they're in that crowd. And unfortunately, the crowd is only as smart as the dumbest person in it. Or right. I guess more eloquently, it can only yeah, no, reason that's good. That was to the good... capacity of like the person with the lowest, you know, amount of capacity to reason. Elias Canetti, who's actually German, sounds Italian, but he wrote in German, wrote a book called Crowds and Power, which is so poorly translated, I really could never slog through it, but it's supposed to be like a higher level analysis <laughs> of that. And I, someone just uh, suggested, and I took the suggestion that I read The Undiscovered Self, I think it is, by Jung, who, yeah, Courtney Young. Turner. Yeah, it was just telling me that he was like a double agent. Like he was literally uh, deep state intel for like two different countries. <laughs> so I think that anyone that understood the human brain in the early 19th century or the early, you know, yeah. late 19th, early 20th century, you kind of had to be an in intelligence because they would seek you out. At, like AI right now. You? I've heard freaky stories of people who are doing research on AI getting absorbed, like getting hounded by the government for well, the CIA research. has their own VC firm, you know, they, they, scoop oh, stuff I know, up, I think, like the, the Xbox when they first, or the, whatever the, the, um, video game console was that came out that had like the eye, like the PlayStation eye or the Xbox thing where you could move around. I think it was called the connect. And that yeah, was yeah. actually something that came from CIA VC backed funding. Oh and it just gosh. made its way. Yeah. I think it started out for like dental, purposes it was weird like like a dentist created it it's it's got a weird backstory but yeah that's a cia funded project that is used for all sorts of technology not just games but here we are yeah well they they say like never use 
VR, like never put that on. But I, but I just feel like once the, once people get super, super isolated like that, once my hands grow onto my keyboard so that I can get Amazon stuff, like you're no longer a human being because all of your interaction <laughs> is with non-human people. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a fair point. Although de- devil's advocate a little bit on this. Uh, like here's the reason Skynet might be a good thing because you were described, and I just say that a little bit jokingly, but you were describing that community experience with your brothers and sisters and you got to fight for the couch and it turns into an, an actual social community thing. But that puts a lot of onus on just geographic convenience. Like just the fact that you've got a bunch of people around you makes it really easy to make that into a social thing. But the second someone's just on their phone, like they might now be in a social setting that's just not bound by geographic convenience. Like why should I yeah. be limited to talk about conspiracy comic books and video games with only the people in my city when like my city's not known for that? I have to say right now, and I put the, I tested it out. So I'm positive that my birds of a feather are human. What <laughs> I do so I was just noticing, I was just saying this because my kids are both in college now and it's hard to like, you know, whatever. Institutional socializing is not my thing at all. So I completely sympathize with the challenges that they're facing. And I was thinking like, I was never good at that. Like, I can't just, you know, no matter how drunk I got, I could not just fucking twerk. Never doing that. I'm never <laughs> doing it. Maybe Coke. Well, now they got TikTok videos that can teach you. Yeah, I, I I can't do it. I can't. I will be slurring, and it'll be like they're totally undermining the family. You know, like I'm <laughs> never, never getting that stupid. And uh, I so I was never good at that. And I don't have a ton, a ton of friends. Like I, I have a few good friends over the years. I make one at you know one work, one at another, and have a lot of brothers and sisters. So it wasn't that big deal. But 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 ever since uh, I did. The propaganda report, which was like the show I did with Binkley, like every single day, the drive time news blast during lockdown. That was basically the entire time of lockdown. We made so many connections and I did meetups and stuff and people made connections with each other, started podcasts together, became really good friends. Like I have people from like New England to Washington State who became friends through my show. And I, I would take one of my sons just loves homesteading and farms and everything, any experience you want. Like he'll, he went on my brother's truck, like he'll just do anything. So I took him to a permaculture place in New York. I took him to our friends in Washington, Oregon, but all people I met from my show, like that's it. And I, even now I live in LA, I have like six or eight friends. They're all people I met at the meetups for the show. And I realized like, I mean, these are like 20 people in this gigantic country of 350 million. And I never, ever would have found them. It's, you know, Tinder couldn't do a better job. Like I couldn't never swipe left a hundred million people like to find the one. And it's, it's been great. And I, I have to just slip in here, this crazy thing that one time I was saying on the air, like that this chick was walking in front of my house with that, an impeach Gavin Newsom shirt on. She and Bingley posted it that night. Like we posted it as soon as we did it. She tweeted me the next day and she was like, did you move to California? And she's one of my best friends out here. What is the likelihood of that? 
I mean, that's like, I was like, that's 100%. kind of like a billion to one. Like what, how could that be? You know what I mean? Like either I have like a hundred times as many listeners as they, that they let me know about, or like synchro is we're getting, shit's getting interdimensional, you know? But you're yeah. right. I mean, it's it's great. And for as long as it lasts, so I just highlight. So that's maybe that's part of why I think they're going to uh, kind of reel in air travel, like air travel, super, super safe. Like they they've been wanting us to move around. And in order to verify these people, you got to get on a plane. Or drive really far, get on a train. So if you want to verify that your birds of a feather are real human beings, you, you have to check it out once in a while. You got to just physically well, not just the if they're human beings. That's one level of it. But I mean, when when you started mentioning the birds of the feather, my mind went to like PatCon or like uh, Elohim City, and I'm not sure how uh, versed you are on like Oklahoma you know, and the Bay and all this. But just 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 yesterday, took out of that slot and put in my um, on my nightstand the uh, aberration. Oh my God! You're in for a treat. That that uh, book rocked my yeah. Uh, the recommended a- by Adam in the Heartland of the Real. Yes, yeah. of Adam of Deborah gets red pilled, whom I visited in Oregon, and he told me read that book. So I'm going to. But yes, yeah, so. I highly recommend. That's so talk about synchronicities. But as you read that one, it spells out the best example of PatCon and all. It's she's got a lot of the receipts in that book. And that's kind of what we're talking about here, except those are real people. But what would happen is that in like Elohim City is this this extremist place where they ship in a German guy that's got like German credentials and he's going to run this and teach everyone how to do extremist stuff. But there is a, a, a note that someone... Wire or something? What, and, and it had people that were underground from the Southern Poverty Law Center were there, FBI, CIA, like just any sort of ATF, any three-letter agency that was out there probably had one or two people to where the, the book paraphrasingly makes a joke. Like there might have been more alphabet agencies there than actual extremists. But what happens yeah. there, because now the alphabet agencies aren't coordinated. This is in the, the 80s and 90s. So they're not necessarily sharing notes. And they're trying to like constantly one up mm-hmm. each other. It's like, hey, mm-hmm. you want to go and do this? And someone's like, yeah, but we should do this too. Like, oh, well, maybe oh, we should do this. No and they're way. going back and they're reporting to their headquarters and they're like, it's about to pop off. They're talking about doing this stuff. But really, they might have just been egging each other on and then pulling in the occasional right. civilian that gets wrapped up in it. McVeigh, I wouldn't even consider as that civilian because he had, you know, he oh, you know, the letter to New York and, Times. The, the letter to New York he wrote a letter to his sister that was published in the New York Times. Have you ever read that, it? That talked about him being, you know, like sheep dipped and and pulled out of the- uh, basic training <laughs> to do yep. a domestic psyop. Basically, it was like, how how do you how do you how do you gloss over that? You know what I mean? Like, how do you gloss over how, I, when someone says they think JFK was an inside job? I'm like, how does your entire view of this country not completely fall apart after that? Like, how do you yeah. hold those ideas in your head? Or like 9-11, some people think 9-11 is and they don't think that absolutely everything after that is just fake. I mean, people are dying, but they're just, ugh. You know, so, I mean, yeah, the, yes. the, the building still fell, I get, depending on what theory you're into, I guess. It might have just been a hologram. But, or. <laughs> but really... 
what I, uh, the nine 11 thing, like I just, what I can't, the stumbling block people have, it's like that it, Dick Cheney would never do that. You know, like whatever, they would never do that. Never do that. I'm like, you know, somebody did it. Somebody did. And what you're saying is that you think that these 15 Saudis did it, but Saudi Arabia had nothing to do with it. You know what I'm saying? It's just, it's so obvious that they just think that this group of people are uh, subhuman and could do it. Like, I just think that's like what, what one conservative commentator said that they're like a brutish and short. What's that famous? There's a famous quote about like the world, you know, everybody, but us are outside of the borders of this country. Like people are like Russians or not, not human. It's fucked up. Well, it's going to get even easier because now they're going to be able to stage things using AI and just be like, Oh, it was the, the software got bugged or hackers got in. It might've been those Russian hackers again. And you don't even have to put a face or a name on it. You could just say Russian hackers, Chinese hackers, and people be like, yeah, I guess that makes sense. You know, the plane, plane took a little but, dip and a twist. But they could, like your intro, like you could take anybody and make them say anything. Without, so where, you know, like- Where are you I, at right. on, uh, on 9-11? What's, what's your theory? Because there's, there's like- um, the government didn't know about it and didn't oh, prevent it. There's they knew about it and prevent it. There's Dick they Cheney did it definitely and... knew about it. Dick Cheney, yeah, Dick Cheney wasn't. Uh... So, so, do you think it's it would like the government orchestrated it as well, yes, or do you think that they like facilitated it? The PNAC thing. They needed a new new Pearl Harbor, and they got it. Pearl mm-hmm. Harbor was Pearl Harbor was an inside job. Right, so that, that's another it. theory that uh, that uh, Eisenhower knew that it was going to be targeted and just kind of let it happen, so that we had a just or yeah Roosevelt, so that we could have a justification for entering the war, since we were kind of playing it Swiss for th- the first bit there. Yeah, he was he was playing solitaire, and somebody came in like, "Hey, we just got intel that like the Japanese are going to blow up Pearl Harbor. We better get those people out of there." And he's like, "Yeah, I'll read it later." <laughs> I have a book called Backdoor to War, which is still in print. And it explains it's 100% based on State Department documents that prove it. But it's by it was published by some press like Regnery Press or like some press that then I read somewhere else is like it was a CIA front. And I'm like, what level? You know what I mean? They They've been pitting us against each other with truth since the 50s. So my father was in the Navy during World War II. Like he was, he was like probably the youngest person who served there and he'd only served for the last year, but he's in the Pacific. And when he got out in the 50s, I have his copy of Backdoor to War with his like notation. So he was only in his 20s when his eyes were open. Then he, uh, he was like led by the Pied Piper thing with uh, William F. Buckley. Like then my parents worked for William F. Buckley, you know, just volunteered at National Review for probably a decade or something until my father figured out William F. Buckley was like full of it. He was a CIA agent too. But like, I just think the the whole conspiracy thing too, like it's obvious it's true. And I'm like, I, 
But here we are talking about it. And there's like literally a thousand podcasters talking about this and lots of people are listening to it. Somebody do something. (laughs) Yeah, But how is that happening? How is that being allowed? What do you have any thoughts or um, like speaking points on Lyndon LaRouche? He's a, it's a name that goes under the radar so often. He, I have found. Why does he not get any credit anymore? Like no one even talks about him. Was he an inside job? Like, I think he went to jail and stuff. He was an act. See, there's another problem I have. So yeah, he, his work on, Oh, the clash of civilizations, which I think is actually starting to bubble up. Like I had this idea of what the 20th century, 20th century dialectic was. And now I had this theory about the 21st century dialectic, but it didn't seem to be taking off. But now I realize that it is, but he would, I think he exposed, I think it was a Bernard Lewis and Samuel Huntington. I have that. They wrote books called clash of civilization, which was exactly what's happening now. I think where they want to take like Christian Christianity versus Islam. And those, that's the thesis and the antithesis. And then um, the synthesis is like a highly restrictive secular religion. That's universal. And, you know, in its way is a combination of church and state, but it's a kind of godless or a neuter God, you know, like universal God. Anyway. That's just my yeah, theory. We're, we're talking a uh, Hegelian dialectic here now. Getting yes. Into Austrian yes. philosophy. <laughs> yes. That's, that's probably going too far, but, uh, but yeah, but Lyndon LaRouche gave a little bit of a heads up cause I was really trying to figure out what was going on. But here's another thing with a lot of these anti-imperialists, let's say a lot of times they're communists. Like, I don't understand why you have to, you can't be anti-colonialist and anti-imperialist and not be a Marxist. I just well, he started there. LaRouche started as a Marxist. Yeah. Right? And then he, he end turned there into like a right winger at a certain oh, point. Oh, did he? Yeah, he's he flopped completely. Oh, and you think yeah, he was a legit guy? I have no idea. It's wild that he is a crazy rabbit hole because like uh when we get into like the woo-woo topics of like 440 hertz versus 432. How, are you familiar with this at all? No, not at all. So there's a, if you go on YouTube, there's all these people that will take like their favorite songs and then they'll retune it down because the theory is that, you know, they like the, the great they out yeah. there have purposefully entrained our brains to kind of tune to a, um, as 440 Hertz, but that is irregular. It's not as natural as 432 Hertz. And usually people use something called cymatics to back this up where you put water or sand on a bass speaker. And when the frequencies kind of resonate, 432 and other denominations um, that are divisible, I think, by 16, they all have these like nice kind of gestalt symmetrical patterns, whereas 440 is kind of like an aberrant mess of just frequencies. But this is actually kind of a true thing. And Lennon, and this gets into woo-woo stuff or like people that are really into crystals and frequencies and channeling things uh, tend to really put a lot of vestment in this 432 versus 440. And also Lyndon LaRouche, he also was a huge component of it. In fact, he started this global objective to get opera singers in particular, and they all protested. They all wanted to push for 432 again as an international standard. It There was actually a huge debate in World War II or leading up to it between if the international standard was going to be 432 or 440, and it ended up going to the 440 range. 
And this was because it's more convenient to the instruments and the tuning, but it's less convenient for opera singers because it's more, um, it, it causes more stress on the, the throat and the vocal cords. Ah. So the 440 actually is kind of like, it's easier for instruments, especially synthetic instruments, because it's a lot easier to tune a 440 and do all the math on 440 than 432, even though for, anyways, well, I don't ah, want to go no, on a complete really tangent on this. But if you if you peel these layers back, it's like, and the person that came the closest to actually making a global push was Lyndon LaRouche. But no one ever brings that up because Lyndon LaRouche doesn't sit nicely into like that crystal prayer circle because he's this weird guy that started as like a Leninist and then he became a right winger and then he wrote for, you know, like everything to him was the Jesuit CIA was behind everything. Like he kind of went towards that at the the end, I guess. But he also wrote a whole bunch of magazines and articles about like CIA inside operations. Yes. So he's a wild card. And I, yeah. I am legitimately interested in why people don't talk about him. I used to pull down his newsletters just because I in my research, when I did more research, I don't know why I haven't even seen his name in a while. But he he is he dead or why he must be dead? He's he's dead. And I think the Simpsons had like an episode where they made fun of him at one point, and that was it. And He's kind of like this this person that got brushed under the carpet, but he was a conspiracy theorist with real political power versus, you know, the, the guys that have radio shows and podcasts. Right. Well, uh, some time ago, while I had a radio show, my mother ran into somebody who was passing out flyers or literature who was from like the Lyndon LaRouche Society or something. I don't know if it was yeah. while Lyndon LaRouche was still alive, but she told him about me and she's like, she has a radio show. You could be on her radio show. But the show was not interview oriented. Like that was really, I just, that's not the show I had. I had a call, like my show was a caller based show. And that was the, the, now I had a few exceptions, but it was rare. And it was very clear from on high. Call like, in, what? <laughs> I Let just have him call, call in. in. <laughs> yeah. 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 He could have, so, he could have, I just blew him off. But I, I always wondered about that. I, I wish I hadn't. And then the other is the John Birch thing. John Birch had some good stuff. It's, had, it's very connected LaRouche and the John Birch society. Yeah, there's a lot like of bigoted and stuff. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't really know the history, but I know people like run and scream. The, the book Birch. that you just were uh, pointing out, the, the aberrations in the heartland of the real, I think yeah. it gets a little bit into the John Birch and stuff only because that's <laughs> kind of where they plucked from. That's, that was the birds of the feather. It's like, if you were an active member in John Birch, that might be a good place to go in and see what's going on in there. I think McVeigh, he kind of like, sampled right he kind of sampled the the different groups around him and uh i don't want to say john birch in particular but that's kind of the yeah. the places they would pick out of and i'm sure they did it the other way too where they put people in the john birch society that made it a more race-based thing because i think the early stuff was like constitutional stuff it's it's how a lot of it starts and then it, it, again that also might just be part of the crowd theory right it might not even be like the cia has to come in and dirty the water it might just be like the crowd lowers the collective iq and i think that identity politics and like traditional conservatism like libertarianism classical liberalism like the bill of rights type stuff are totally incompatible with each other and cannot lead to the other. So that's why I think they had to take, I understand that you, that they, they can, they can insert it. Like somebody inserted into Ron Paul's newsletter that there was going to be a race war and 
like you insert it into these things and maybe predict it. And maybe just by saying, I think the CIA is working on a race war. It makes you sound like a racist. I don't know. But that's why I think they had to, they could not hijack the Ron Paul movement to bring identity politics to the right, which I think they had been trying to do for decades. They had to hijack that energy with Trump, but to they had to gut the principles because their individualism is so antithetical to groupthink, to to racism and stuff. I think they had to they had to say, okay, it is us versus them, but let's fight fire with fire like Trump wise. Don't you think or is that you think that's not no I do. And honestly, I want to go on a whole tangent with you right now on a whole topic of like NLP and stuff. But but uh, I know I know that we have limited time here and I've got a little segment that I want to play and just play us off on like a a, a sort of a silly note. So we're just going to run right into it. I'm going to surprise you with it. But uh, yeah, let's just do this. Hey, conspiracy buffs, I double dare you to take some PCP, the paranormal conspiracy probe on your marks, get set and go. Okay, Monica, rules are very simple. I just want a zero to 10 rating from you on how credible you think a certain thing is, right? Zero meaning like it's silly, it's for children, fairy tales, and then 10 being like, pull up a chair, I'll convince you of this now, all right? Okay, so 10 would be if you say you find it credible. Yeah, 10 10 is you find it the most credible. I'm going to say zero, right? I don't think the moon. Let's let's start there. Let's start with that uh, human beings have stepped foot on the moon. Yes, no chance. That's a zero? A, a full zero, yeah. Right. Uh, dinosaurs existed. I'm thinking zero. Dragons existed. Like fire-breathing dragons? Yeah, fire-breathing, flying dragons. I think fire is a key component, so they have to breathe fire. Or, or some someone's asked me before, like, does acid count? Maybe I guess, like the. I'm thinking there <laughs> like, are like weird too? lizards with wings and stuff, and maybe they have like acidy stuff coming out. I'll, I'll give you a two. I'm okay. not a huge dragon. I'm not saying there's okay. a huge dragon. Uh, Bigfoot. I think that as long as you've got a definition that's you know kind of fluid, I'm going to give you a, you know, a six. Alien abductions, like like a UFO beams you up into the ship and physical. they poke you and fit like a physical UFO abduction. Does it is it does it count if I think maybe it's like a CIA front and they're doing it, but they're pretend, like that, that. I would like to say that people think they were abducted and I would like to give them the credit of a six. But I'm going to say, is it alien? I'm going to say two. What about the cattle mutilations being done by aliens and not CIA op, but like right. actual extraterrestrials of some kind? Going to say two. What about aliens helping with the pyramids? Does that include interdimensional beings? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Any anything that's extra or interdimensional, I guess. Okay, I'll give you a four on interdimensional. Uh do you think chemtrails are real? 
like they spray shit in the air and it changes the weather and all that. Ten, definitely. Do you think uh, zero to ten on using chemtrails for mind control? Like the way they use it for fluoride, like the way they use fluoride yeah, yeah. for yeah. I think there's, you know, I'm gonna give that a seven. So when I give you a zero or a ten, it's because like I've actually researched it and come up with a like I concluded so that the minute I'm not trying to be wishy-washy with the other stuff, but I'm just guessing there. But if I'm giving you zero or ten, it's like I'm done. I'm not even I'll, I'll do a, a, a follow-up before we're completely done. Uh and then the the last one, it's it's kind of a combo one. So you can split it into two if you want, but Pizza Gate slash Frazzle Drip slash Spirit Cooking. Is there something to it other than just like edgy, artsy, look at me energy? Jeez. Oh, I but do you think someone's actually summoning demons or getting like supernatural powers or yeah, it's a hundred percent a psyop, but is it base like pizzagate was there to do something it was planned but is there something to it i'll give you a four that there's something to it and then if you wanted to go bigger with the occult i would say you know there's a six that there's something to it they definitely do it there's a 10 that it gets done but is it altering the universe or is it just a mind control technique that's where mm -hmm. you know 10 it's happening but is it do the people who are doing it believe it or are they laughing like behind their cloaks i mean i went to the grammys yeah. like i saw they did like they always have like a black mass ritual at the grammys basically oh, was it like what was the black mass ritual okay so this time this time I was going up the escalator and is it, I think it's Sam Smith. He was, was that a person? Is that a, is that a, I don't, I don't Sam I Smith? <laughs> the guy who like um, struggles with his weight or has complained about struggling with his weight. So I see through the windows, like there were trailers where people were getting ready and I see him there in, you know how like a priest or a whatever will wear like a black frock all the way down to his, like with a collar, but a black frock all the way down to his feet. Mm -hmm. He was wearing that, not with the collar. The collar was missing, but it was red all the way down to his feet. And I said, oh, he's going to probably do the satanic ritual. And people on the elevator, you know, everybody's in their gowns and everything. They're just like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And I was like, oh, sorry. I didn't mean to say that out loud. Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> and yeah, he's there. He's on the stage. And then he's in the middle and there's all these people in the red around him. And literally, and of course, Madonna makes an entrance because she's usually in that one. Flames, real actual flames start shooting up behind him. Just like, is, it, is anybody <laughs> what do you think this is? <laughs> you know? And one time my kids, I go, I go like, just as a work thing, I get to go at Fairmount and one time, many years ago, I mean, I noticed this for a long time. I said to, I would just, oh, we, I've made that comment a lot of times. And one time I was my, on my way out, my kids were like, mom, tell us, you know, take a picture of this satanic thing. So whatever it is, you know, I wonder what it's going to be this year. And I walked in, I was in a suite so I could oversee like all the people who sit. Every single solitary person was wearing 
glowing devil horns in the audience. I shit you not. And I was like, come on, this is ridiculous. And people laugh at me because out comes ACDC and they sing Highway to Hell. And they're like, well, they were just, and I was like. They're being cute. (laughs) What? They were just being cute. But I mean, when you predict something and it happens over and over again, you might be wrong about the causation, but like, isn't that the scientific method? theory outcomes and then i don't i don't know but are they devil worshipers i don't you know i'm like i don't really think so like i i don't i don't i don't think so like i think it's i think they're fucking with us do you think there's objective evil just in the world itself like could could someone legitimately like summon a demon or do you think that that's just another mental thing that you're doing you know, I do, I really struggle. So I'm a practicing Catholic. Mm-hmm. I pray all the time. Like I never like say the rosary and all that kind of stuff. I'm just like, please help me, please help me, please help me. And like he helps me all the time. I mean, it's undeniable. And I've had a few signs that I've asked for and gotten. So it's uh, in my mind, there's definitely. I mean, I cannot. I I, I cannot. It would be really foolhardy of me to deny the help that I've gotten because I'm really expecting a lot more help. Like I'm not, I, I've got a, <laughs> a lot of years that yeah. <laughs> totally not jinxing that. But the, uh, and then on the other hand, from nine 11, which was uh, like the only explanation that I can think of for that kind of a horror. Like I think in their minds, they drafted those people. Like they just killed people for their military purposes, whatever. But it's just so, so outside our capacity as ethical human beings to do that, that like it looks like a black mass to me. And then COVID, the amount of destruction, the amount of death and suffering and disease that they spread with their COVID policies. I'm not even talking about whatever they fucking invented and shot in everybody's arms to shoot out people's faces and get me sick, which is exactly what I think happened. I think they spread it around with the vaccine, got us all sick by shooting people up with it, which was, you know, whatever, spewing out their face holes. But even not including that actual thing, the COVID and the vaccine, how much death and and disease, well, I guess the vaccine causes the disease, but like the cancers and stuff, like what, what they, I mean, that hundreds of countries, you know, went along with this, like so many individuals and so many, probably billions of people mindlessly doing something that was net evil. Like, I, I I just, I, I just, I don't know. Like, I feel like human beings are not that evil or we wouldn't have built tall buildings that stand up like that is objective truth that is good so what is that where where did that come from something sparked that something spread that evil into mankind like these past couple of years so I, i'm gonna say it's a very very long answer to your question but i think yeah i think there's evil it could be the same thing this could also be dick cheney dick cheney yes and and i mean what is living in him you know what I mean? Like, this, what could so he has to connect with other? You know, there has to be a force, right? There has to be, he has to be connecting. It's all connecting with people. There has to be some 
like malevolent spirit, I think. Yeah, imagine these guys walking around the halls and then just connecting with someone else like you're like me. We should team up. And then what like they do, like what does that Gustave Le Bon group look like? Right. Not when you're talking about the bumpkins, but when you get like Mandalay yes. Bay, Bohemian Grove or the Hillbillies together, like what does well, that kind of group look like? There was this crazy video that I've shared many times of a woman who said that her parents were in a secret society and she, as a little girl, had to had to run kids around in these human hunting parties and that the guys who couldn't like get it up and rape little kids were basically eliminated from the group with prejudice, killed and whatever. And so like they they promise power, they draw you in. And if you can pass these tests of depravity, you get to rise through the ranks of the power that it is theirs to give, like straight out of the Bible. Like, these are the kingdoms. I can give these to you. When this is just Epstein on steroids, right? Like, like the Epstein is, is the, right. uh, the tame version where all you had to do was get on a plane and go to a resort. Like the, yes. the crazy part was just what happened at the resort that you paid for. But we're not talking about going out into the woods and like post-adolescent girls too like you know a 17 year old woman i understand it's illegal or 15 year old whatever but pre-pubescent children like that's you know i don't see how that could be actual lust like that seems to me pure hurtful malevolent depravity yes in the woods chasing people so what a way to wrap up uh, this Sorry. episode. No, such a, we have to change uh, that. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I have a lot of hope. I have a lot of hope. I have hope for a couple of reasons. One, I think they did COVID in part to crash the economy so they could raise, you know, inflate and raise interest rates, which means to me that they're not ready to destroy our currency and our economy and everything yet. So that buys us time. like some some tarnished silver lining, but okay. <laughs> yes. I also they haven't killed us yet because they're not ready. They will, but well, no, you know, I don't know. Like, <laughs> but it means that they aren't, you know, the fact that they aren't doesn't means that they maybe can't, you know, maybe they don't have that much control. And I also think that we, I think that a lot of the hopelessness is, is just us me right now, like saying that stuff, like convincing ourselves that there is, you know, this organized superior power that can control humanity. And I, and I think we're also seeing that there are billions of people who are still human and are not going to fall for that. And that's a problem for them. And I think that maybe the ones that those evil overlords who don't really believe in the soul or God, like they can't really believe in God because God would win. I assume in the end, like even Lucifer probably knows that he's outmatched in the end after the end of the world that, uh, that good is, you know, good is good is truth. Good is what makes buildings stand up, not fall down. What can they do? They can blow up buildings, but they can't, you know, build them with their malevolence. So I feel like good is the stronger force. And just, you know, play, play, play as if like, this is just a test. Which side are you on? I think that's well said. Although as a, as a practicing Catholic, isn't there always that back door of like, if you just repent uh, on your deathbed and really mean it, then it all goes away. 
doesn't all go away. You have to go to no. purgatory for a long time. I actually, <laughs> That's right. like, gotta, I'm kind of okay with it all. The celebration of purgatory is, I think, All Souls Day this week. But purgatory, you have to go and purge. You have to purge all your all your sins and baggage. You have to suffer. It's just like hell, except for it's not eternal. So you might be there for like a million years. You do not. You don't want to fuck up. And you might not get a deathbed. You might just, you know, when they decide that airplanes aren't, you know, they don't want you to think they're safe anymore. And you're on that one. No. Yeah, that's true. No, that, you can't you can't like time out your Pascal's wager. Like you're either in it no or way. not. You can't leave no it for way. the last second. <laughs> and there's a tally book. Like his wager is complicated. There's definitely like your and I'm not saying I can tell you what is tallied on your sides, but when you know what you're doing is wrong or you refuse to think about it, you're gonna be held responsible for that. I do shit like that all the time. I do the wrong thing all the time. And unfortunately, I'm well aware of it. So I have to like feel bad uh but i feel like being aware of it you know maybe keeps you in line a little bit because purgatory is going to suck but i think it'll be good because of all the things that you think of that you do you can't take that baggage with you into the afterlife so it gives you an opportunity to just atone and i think you need that i think we need that and i think we can offer up our sacrifices and our suffering and not indulge in every consumer impulse and you know you get that's in the great tally tally board in the sky i think this was uh an interesting sort of jumping around but man we went from like bitcoin to bigfoot <laughs> to uh dinosaurs to purgatory, purgatory. So. That we left a lot on the table. I still want to talk to you about NLP at some point, even if you're not familiar with that, because I think it would it would apply in so many different things that you're bringing up. Um, okay, let's. So aside let's from Monica's deepdives.com, where else yes. can people find you again? Just listen to Deep Dives with Monica Perez on your favorite podcasting platform, or go to rockfin.com slash deep dives, where you can probably find everything on video. Uh, without commercials. So Deep Dives has commercials because I have to pay a producer. But if you go to Rockfin, if you belong to Rockfin, and actually I think a lot of my stuff is free on Rockfin. So you can just sign up to rockfin.com slash deep dives and not even have to pay. And there you go. If you want some deep dives and we all love deep dives, I have the utmost respect for like the long form research format. So thank you for doing it and showing people how it's done. And speaking of commercials, I'm going to play us out with one right now. Frazzle Drip Funhouse. Enter, if you dare, the world of an animatronic bear whose metallic heart beats with a thirst for justice, a hunger for revenge. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, connoisseurs of the macabre and seekers of the scandalous. Your voracious appetites for chilling narratives are about to be satiated by the heart-stopping, pulse-pounding creation of paranoid American and winged sun comics. Abandoned in the dusty corners of amusement, now awoken in the murk of wickedness perpetrated by an evil elite. And this is not your childhood fairy tale, but a macabre dance of vindication, soaked in crimson, a symphony of screams echoing in the dimly lit chambers of malevolence. Be prepared for an onslaught of ghastly gore and titillating terror. 
a wicked waltz through twisted hallways and blood-stained basements where only the brave dare to tread, quake at the bear's unyielding pursuit, cackle at the sharp and sardonic one-liners, shudder at the graphic, gratuitous scenes that harken back to the glory days of B-horror flicks. Frazzle Drip Funhouse is your ticket to a thrill ride of terror, a carnival of carnage where the laughs are as loud as the screams. Uncover the truth beneath the rust and the blood, and remember nothing is as it seems. Are you ready to step into the Frazzle Drip Funhouse, where the animatronic eyes are always watching, and vengeance is a game that everyone can play? Get your backer exclusive cover on Indiegogo. For more information, visit ParanoidAmerican.com. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.